Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. So have you ever been that person? (laughs) I have. (laughs) I have more than once, actually. There was a scene up there that... uh, was me, the one where the, the early one where the tree fell and hit the ladder. I've lived that one. That, that's definitely been one that uh, I've learned a lesson on. Uh, you know, project takes a bad turn. You're out there trying to do something, and I bet some of those uh, people that uh, crashed, uh, crashed a wall, fell through a roof, I'm guessing there was someone behind them saying, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. You thinking? You thinking clearly? What are you thinking? And I'll bet you most of that was, most of those were men, wasn't it? I'll bet there was, who's behind the video camera? Well, I can bet it was a wife. Hey, dummy, what are you thinking? Oh, I'll get this on video. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll make a few bucks on one of those funny video shows, right? No, but what does the guy say? Listen, I've got this. I've got it. Relax. And by the way, I'm committed to this project. I'm going to see it through and get it done, right? Then the ceiling falls in, and there's the video. Uh, I was uh, doing a project once, needed some lumber. Julie came with me to the store. I don't know. Uh, she might have been looking for, you know, some of the finishing touches, you know, paint. I can't even remember what it was. And at any rate, I bought the wood, and we were out in the parking lot. And she says, let me help you with that. I say, no, I got it. Stand back. I've got this. Right? So the first board I pick up is a 14-foot 2 by 4 I picked it up. I turned. <laughs> Clunk! Right in the side of her head. Oh, Yeah. Let me tell you, I heard a bit about that, too, Um, you know. But I was committed. I was committed to getting it done, and, you know, I want to do it myself, and I didn't want her help, and uh, it's a stubborn form of commitment. It's not the best form of commitment. And that I want to talk to you this morning about commitment and being committed, but really not the stubborn, I've got to do it or else kind of commitment, but positive commitment commitment, the opposite of these bad examples that we've just seen, not stubborn commitment, but submissive, yielding commitment, commitment that is dedication to a cause, commitment that's sponsoring a project or supporting a vision. And we've been talking about house and home here, and I know you've been thinking about it. Where is he going? What's he going to be talking about? And yes, it's support, support of the house and home. And uh, I will be today talking about uh, giving. Yes, I will. I'll just put it out there. It's part of our responsibility and what we do uh, to support uh, uh, our house and our home. And I'll... Um, I'll be speaking to you next week even a little more frankly about it. I want to just be open and talk about some of the financial needs and requirements around uh, this church and this complex. I'm going to give next week sort of a state of the uh, church address and let you know about some of the upkeep and the investment that we have done. I'm sure many of you would be interested in knowing about it and give you some information about the future, too, and uh, what we would like to plan 
And if you'd like to know more about our finances too, our uh, annual financial report is ready. You can pick that up if you want today. You could stop by uh, the church office just on your way out over by the chapel doors at the church office. You could pick one up if uh, you're so inclined. It's available for all the members of the church. And uh, we have a supply. It's not... uh, it's a finite supply. It's not infinite. So if we run out, we'll make more and have them available uh, for next week uh, as we continue on this, you know, this idea of being uh, committed. And as I said, positive commitment. You know, this, this idea of what is commitment, it's, it's dedication to a cause and supporting a vision and uh, being behind a, a project And in a positive sense, that's the real willingness, that yielding, that submissive attitude to back a cause. When we talk about commitment in the context of the church, our spiritual family, our spiritual home, commitment is oftentimes going to mean a willingness not only to be supportive for the efforts, but to be getting involved with others and and working with others side by side. And uh, that requires what we've talked about the past couple of weeks, responsibility and unity. Uh, we have to keep our responsibility to, to maintain a unity. And that really is not going to occur. It's not really going to happen until we actually take the step to commit. If you get engaged in any venture, and I mean truly, truly engaged, it begins with making a commitment. Of course, there might be some preliminaries, plans, plans, budgets, whatever it is you might be thinking about doing, but you can plan incessantly, you can crunch numbers forever and do nothing. Nothing's going to happen until you act. And it's that first action, that's, that's where you're really making the commitment. When two people are married, they make a commitment. And how do they make that commitment? Do they just talk about it? No, they publicly and before God make vows to one another. When you decide to do a a major home project, you might enter into a a financial agreement to finance the project. You maybe sign a contract. You commit then to that project. If you enter into a business partnership with someone, You may have to bring some equity to the table and, again, uh, put your name down on a formal document. You've made your mark, your commitment. And I'm sure most all of you have heard uh, the old fable about the pig and the chicken. The pig and the chicken are walking down the road, and the chicken says, Hey, pig, I was thinking, we should open a restaurant together. And the pig replies, maybe that's a good idea. What do you think we should call it? And the chicken responds, well, I think we should call it ham and eggs. <laughs> and the pig says, ah, no thanks. You'd be involved, but I'd be committed. <laughs> See, that, that, yeah, you think about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, the pig's making a commitment. See, this cute little fable, it really presents a powerful lesson. The chicken and the pig, they really represent two ends of a spectrum of commitment. The chicken 
that sort of entry-level commitment. Yeah, I've got a supply of things. I can supply them and give out of that, and that's okay, and I'll be able to do that. That's the chicken, entry-level. The pig, on the other hand, pig is total commitment. And when we think about that in a, in a more serious way, you know, we owe a debt. We owe a debt to countless who were committed to cause, to, to the cause of liberty and freedom, and they gave ultimately for it. They gave their lives. And I can't help but think of uh, those young Egyptian men a couple years ago that were taken by ISIS. And because of their commitment to Jesus Christ, I mean, they gave their lives. Commitment, tangible, ongoing, continuous, dedication to a cause. And we sang that song this morning, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And if we say no turning back, that's a commitment. That means something. Ongoing, steadfast. It's unlikely that any of us are going to be called to that level of commitment, the actual total commitment, that pig commitment, if you will. You know, we're probably more on the chicken end of the spectrum. But at times, our commitment's going to be tested. It's going to be tried. It's going to be stretched. And Paul's letter to the Corinthians could be characterized as a letter to a church that needed to be encouraged in their commitment, in their commitment to Christ and in their commitment to his church. Unity and responsibility, these are themes in the early chapters that he builds on. In the first chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul makes an, a, an appeal for unity almost immediately. He gives his salutation, and then I think it's verse 10 where he, he says, there shouldn't be any disputes among you. I mean, immediately he's, he begins to talk about them. Hey, your church here, this church at Corinth, it's a bit of a house divided. There's lawsuits. He talks about lawsuits between uh, Christians, divisions over trivial things like food. There's rifts during uh, the communion time. There's discord during worship. There's an irresponsibility to the gospel. Sin has been allowed to fester in that church, and it's a grievous sin. It's incest. Paul makes an appeal for unity and responsibility to living the gospel with integrity. And as he came to the close of, of his letter, and the last two chapters, he opens this final, or second from last chapter, chapter 15, with these words. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. All right, now there's a reminder. You Corinthians, you've taken a stand. You've made a commitment. You've made a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, Paul begins to write through this chapter, chapter 15, that their dedication to the cause of the gospel is wavering. They've been listening to other teachers. They've been listening to other uh, teachings, and no doubt 
They've even listened and believed that Jesus Christ wasn't resurrected. They've begun to, they've begun to stray. And this is foundational to, to Christianity, the resurrection. So Paul, in this 15th chapter, he begins to give them gospel 101. He really goes back to, to the basics. Somewhat like we sung this morning, and it's good to be reminded. We sung a song that was uh, taken from the Apostles' Creed. What we believe, and it's good to be reminded of that. So Paul the Apostle reminds these Corinthians, you've been doubting the resurrection? Let me tell you about the gospel. He says, Christ died for our sins. That's basic. Christ was buried. That's a fact. And he was resurrected. Believe it. And he goes on to tell them, he was resurrected. He was seen by Peter and James and other apostles, and then by 500. Paul goes through an explanation of the basics of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into detail, detailed explanation about the resurrection. Why? To encourage these Corinthians in their commitment. You've taken a stand, you need to remain committed. Why? Because the kingdom needs to stand. The kingdom of Christ is to stand firm. And not only to stand firm, the kingdom of Christ isn't just to, to stand stagnant. No, it's to move forward. And it's to grow and it's to expand, to include others. That the kingdom of Jesus Christ could include souls that were lost. I mean, it's part of our mission. And we're not exclusive we want other people to know Jesus Christ. We want them to have eternity with him. That's part of our motivation. And Paul's trying to encourage the Corinthians to this end. And when he gets to the end of this thought, the end of the chapter, chapter 15, this is then the closing verse. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, what kind of commitment was he referring to? Well, this is something beyond the chicken commitment. He says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully This is closer to the pig end of the spectrum. Give everything. Give yourselves fully. Have you given yourselves fully to Jesus Christ? Have you given yourselves fully to his cause? Have you done that individually? In your home? At work? Wherever you find yourselves? On the highways, the byways? whosever path you might cross, have you given yourself fully to Jesus Christ to be that example, to be his ambassador? And have you given yourself fully to Jesus Christ and his cause collectively, to the house, to the home, to this church, and as members of his church universal? You know, the church universal exists to advance the cause of Jesus. 
And this church, this local church, this house exists for each of us to collectively have a part in that, to be active in knowing his word and living his word and spreading his word. That's it in a nutshell. That's the Great Commission in a nutshell. It's part of why we exist. And that's a reason for the local church, and it's a reason for our church here. For us together, for us as a unit to be stronger in his word so that we can live it out and we can share the gospel with others around us, ultimately advancing the cause of God here on earth, his kingdom on earth, moving forward. And we have a responsibility to this cause. And when we act on that responsibility in unity, unity with Christ first and foremost, and unity with one another, when we have given ourselves fully to his cause, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It produces something. And it produces fruit for his kingdom. This is about commitment. It's about commitment to Jesus. It's about commitment to his gospel. Maintaining unity. Being responsible to be a church of integrity. Purging sin. Paul required it of the Corinthians. And of course, it's required of all of us. It's required of all of us as Christians. that requires commitment. It's behavioral. It's, it's sort of this behavioral level of commitment. Paul has spent 14 chapters, and now this 15th, talking to these Corinthians, and he's saying, modify the way you do things. Change your behavior. You need to realize you're in sin. You need to realize you're in discord. And he encourages them to, to straighten up on that. Make a commitment, yes. But it's, it's still this chicken-level commitment. It's not really asking all that much. From chapter 1 to 15, it's behavioral. It's attitude. And then he gets to chapter 16. It's the final chapter. And I want to share with you uh, the first couple of verses from chapter 16. Now, remember when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it in chapters and verses. He didn't organize it and number everything as we have it. There wasn't this full stop at chapter 15, the end, flip a page and begin chapter 16. No, it flowed. One thought moved into another. It was a continuous letter. So I want to give you it as a continuum. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the final verse of chapter 15, and then verses 1 and 2, as if we were reading it like the first church read it, the Corinthians read it. And it reads like this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping up with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Well, there it is. 
Yes, Paul brings up money. And I know you're saying, oh, the preacher's talking about money now. We need to. We need to from time to time. Now, it's not often that we stand up here and dedicate a, a, a message, talk about giving and money, but it is important. Paul asked the Corinthian church to take up weekly collections. He brought up this idea of money after this whole, this whole litany of you need to be united, you need to change your attitude, do these things, get back to the basic gospel, and then now there's another level of commitment. It's beyond these attitude changes and these behavioral adjustments. Set something aside each week. Why? Why set it aside? Well, if we read verse 3, we find out it's for another church. Paul says, I want you to set this aside for Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. Paul knew the Corinthians had enough to take care of their own church and beyond. And we can discover if we read 2 Corinthians, his second letter, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it tells us about it. They, they had plenty but he had called them to a higher commitment. And even by that second letter, he was still encouraging them because it didn't seem they had responded as he had hoped. And Bethesda, all of us have a responsibility. And you've responded wonderfully. You've responded wonderfully, commendably to this higher commitment, to this giving for other churches. Our missions have been uh, better than they were last year. And we can support local, foreign, global missions. This shows your level of commitment. And our local house, our local house here, it needs attention too. We need to keep this house. We need to keep this home and look after it. And it requires funding. No one's going to step into my house to pay the bills. Be nice. Be nice if that would happen. But that's my, that's my responsibility. And it's the same here. No one's going to step in. It's, it's our collective responsibility. And the, the basic way the Bible speaks about this and our financial responsibility is proportional giving. Paul wrote that. He said, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So that's a proportional giving. And that's the principle in the Bible. The principle that the Bible presents is pro proportional giving. And the principle is laid out as a tenth. A tenth, a tithe, 10%. It's not a fixed amount. Paul didn't write, everyone set aside $1,000. Sometimes, I don't know, you hear a, a preacher that seems to be a magic number, $1,000. Now, he didn't do that. He didn't say, set aside $1,000. No. Why? Because for some, that'd be nothing. And for others, it would be everything. So he said, set aside in keeping with your income, a proportion. And a tenth, a tithe, 10%, that's the biblical principle. The Old Testament speaks about tithing. 
actually multiple tithes. If you read through the Old Testament, there was a tithe for the Levites, a tithe for the temple and the feasts, a tithe for the poor. And I'm not standing up here saying I advocate 30%. No, a tenth. A tenth is the principle. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek the priest. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about tithing. And he said, in essence, they were hypocritical. They gave for show, and they had no compassion. And Jesus said, you need, to, you need to do both. You need to be tithing and showing compassion. And the principle there is proportional giving with the right attitude, not out of obligation, not under compulsion. In that second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 8, he wrote that. He wrote that in, in his effort to encourage them more. He said, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when you learn this, when you apply it, I can testify to you that the blessings of God will follow. God's blessing will follow and multiply. Many of us already know that. I know there's many of you here that you know that. You get it. You're tithers. And God's blessing has followed you. You've committed to that. And you, can, you could give testimonies. But there's others. And you haven't made that commitment. You've made a commitment, but only so far. And I would love for you to see the blessing when you step out further in your commitment. God has invited you. He has invited you to be a part of his work. That's a lasting proposition. That's an eternal proposition. Whatever you gain, whatever you accumulate in this world, it's fleeting. It's temporary. When you're dead and you're gone, it's going to hold no value to you whatsoever. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be a garage sale or an estate sale. Your stuff is going to be sold off for pennies on the dollar, and the rest of it's going to be stuck out on the curb for a Rizzo truck to come by. That's what happens when we're gone to the stuff that we so, uh, you know, we so much want to accumulate in this life. But what do you put into God's kingdom? What do you put toward his work? Now that's forever. That's lasting. That's eternal. When somebody gets saved at this, these altars, that's forever. And when someone is taught the word of God in a classroom or, or one of the dining rooms here, when we come together as a community to worship God here in this sanctuary or in the chapel, when any of the many, many ministries that are active in this campus and complex do the work of God, your contributions play a part in that, and that has eternal consequences. When you commit to that, when you commit to the function and the upkeep of the church, you are directing the natural 
to the supernatural. You redeem money from its use in the world and you turn it to a higher function, directing it to establish the kingdom of God in this realm, in the realm of the earth. You extend the domain of the gospel and you put divine things above natural things. You bring voice to, to wood and to stone and to brick and to mortar, and you allow that to proclaim the name of God in our Christ, Jesus. You know, we labor and we work, and then what we give is consecrated to God and, and to his work to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to that, God is glorified. Whoever passes by over here on the highway, on, on Metro Parkway, and they see that cross rising up above this church, they know then that this is the house of God. And if you haven't made the commitment to, to be regular, proportional giver, you're missing out on a great blessing. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you when it clicked for me. I'm not talking about myself to talk about myself. I want to encourage you. And I, I give you a personal story to encourage you. And the farthest thing to exalt myself. But it's a testimony that I can give that's true from my heart. And I hope it encourages you. If you haven't taken that step to make that deeper commitment, to be regular and proportional. At the time when this clicked for me, I was still young. I was a young married. Julie and I were probably in our late 20s, and I had heard a sermon, and I was asking her if she even remembered. I don't know if she was there with me that day. And we had young kids and uh, one of us may have stayed home from time to time. Can't really recall. I can't even recall or tell you exactly what the message was, only that I left. And I said, I really should do this. We should be doing this as a couple. We should be doing it as a family. And I didn't feel pushed. I didn't feel compelled. It wasn't some browbeating sermon where if you don't give, you're going to hell. No, it was nothing like that. I just felt like, well, this is biblical, and I should follow that. So I said, Julie, we're going to do this. We're going to tithe. And she was a little concerned. At that time, she was our family bookkeeper. So every other week, I took my paycheck, turned it over to her. She paid the bills. She balanced the checkbook. She kept a watchful eye on all of our spending. Julie had worked for her dad and his small business, kept ledgers. Uh, so she understood credits and debits, and she watched every penny because we didn't have too many extras. We didn't spend beyond our means. We never, ever kept a credit card balance. Never. I mean, that was just something we had agreed upon. Never argued about it, never fought about it. It was just something we did. We didn't like anything over our head. So at the end of the month, expenses and income, they were always close. It was always tight. But here we were, and I said I wanted to do this, and the next Sunday, I did. 
and I should say we did. It wasn't as if um, we had some real contention about it. I'll just say that she was a little concerned. And I remember it was $80. $80 I put in this envelope, let it go of my hand, and I'll tell you what, we never looked back. We have never looked back. Since that time, it's just been what we did. We have been tithers. And God has truly blessed us. Uh, we were able to put both our girls through Christian school here at Bethesda. We enrolled them in Bethesda Christian School. When special needs arose, when they were building the school, the family center, renovation of sanctuary, missions, we were able to support those efforts too, above and beyond. I worked outside the home. Julie worked the home. And it became easier for her because as we committed to this and committed to giving a tenth, she'll tell you that she was liberated. And she just got lighter. And I'll, I'll tell you how. She made sure we tithed. It didn't become something that was tried to be missed. Or no, no, no. Total opposite. She made sure we tithed. She went from being concerned that we couldn't afford to tithe to saying we can't afford not to tithe. And I'm not making this up. I picked up the checkbook one day. I picked up the checkbook and I start flipping through the pages because I, I didn't see it that often. And there's no balance in it. And I, I said, hey, why aren't you balancing the checkbook? She's like, ah, no worries. God's taking care of it. I mean, this is how, this was, she used to watch every single nickel. Uh, God blessed us. And I want to tell you this one other little detail. Didn't, this did not happen every single week we gave. It's not the reason that we gave. We gave to support the Lord's effort. But that Sunday, that very first Sunday, I put that $80 in an envelope. The next day I was at work, Monday. This was kind of odd for a Monday. I got called in the boss's office. It was afternoon. Fisger, you've been doing a good job. Keep up the good work. $500 bonus. I think it was God's way of showing me something. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And as I said, that didn't happen every single week. That's not how it works. but it was just a little something to help us stay the course, stand firm, stick with our commitment. And if you've never made the commitment, a submissive, yielding commitment, not under compulsion, not being forced, but from your heart, to give regularly and proportionally to God's cause, I really want you to think about it this week. Consider it. Pray, ask God. If you have this concern, if you're concerned, 
I just want to echo what my wife would say. I was concerned. I couldn't afford that. Mm-mm. I'm concerned I can't afford to do it now. I mean, I can't afford not to. Can't afford not to. Because there's such a great blessing in it. There's a blessing in operating his house. So I invite you. I invite you to think about that and consider it. And then next week I want to talk to you about some of the things happening here at the church. We're not going to start some capital campaign you, if you're thinking that, oh, you, I'm going to have forms and things for you to sign next week. No, just want to talk to you about what's happening here in terms of what we've done here to keep this place moving and keep it uh, in order and well-kept and what we're thinking about in the coming year or two. And you'll be blessed in your commitment. You'll be blessed in your support. Let's stand and pray as we go and uh, in any of you any of you that have you know, you've been here and you've taken part in the ministries and you want this to be your home church. You haven't made that. You haven't made that commitment to really get behind it with your material goods. Paul didn't spend a lot of time on it. Put a few verses there at the close of his letter. We're not going to spend weeks, months, no. We have a message today and we move on. But you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed if you make that commitment in your heart. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, if, if there's anyone here who struggles with this letting go to you, giving to you, Lord, I just pray you work on those, those hearts and help them to realize the great benefit. You'll have them. You'll watch over them. You'll bless them as they commit to you and commit to your cause. Show them, God, in a real tangible way your hand and your blessing. Lord, we need committed people in your kingdom, committed hearts and lives to not just give time, but to give everything fully. When we give ourselves fully, Lord, we know our work is not in vain. It's for you. God, bless hearts. Bless minds. Bless souls. Bless the struggle, God, and help. And Lord, for those who are faithfully committed to you and have, have found the wonderful, wonderful blessing and just yielding to you and giving to you, 
God, may your grace and your peace and your blessing be upon each, each one. Thank you for the commitment of so many here. Bless, bless those families. Bless those individuals. Bless them, God. Oh, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we look forward to what you're going to do. God, I just pray. I just pray, Lord, as we gather next week, you would, you would truly bring, you would truly bring those that would give and surrender all to you fully their lives. And Lord, they would give that and commit and show that they trust you, that they trust you. I thank you for it, God. I thank you in Jesus' name.